You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 185, The Current State of Affairs. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is July 16th, 2020, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about the current state of affairs. And by that, I mean my current state of affairs, not the nation's (laughs) or everyone else's. Um, Unfortunately, as you'll find out in this episode, I just moved, and one of the things that has taken me so long to record this new episode is that I put all my notes on one of these floppy disks here. So I finally found the disk that has the notes. So while I load the notes back up from this floppy, we'll have a few minutes to chat during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. So hello, welcome back to a new episode of You Don't Know Flag. Now, it's kind of ironic. I know that... um, Uh, one of the things, and one of the things I don't like talking about is a coronavirus and the current uh, state of the pandemic. Um, but I mentioned this on Sprite Castle, another one of my podcasts. I just recorded a new episode of of Sprite Castle, uh, I think two weekends ago, and I've got another one coming out next weekend. But as much as I don't like talking about coronavirus, um, and, and, and it's not that I don't like it because it's, it's, you know, depressing or, uh, painful or frustrating. And it, it is all those things, but I don't like it because I don't like the social conflict that comes with it, you know? And I have felt as I have seen conflict on social media, uh, between good friends, as I've seen it in the workplace, as I've seen it between my personal friends, uh, it makes me retract. It makes me curl up into a little ball and just live in my own little world and read and write and play video games and watch movies and do all these things that don't really involve me interacting with other people. Because uh, I, I will share my opinion if asked, but I don't like pushing ideas on people and I don't like conflict and I certainly don't like arguing things that there's no uh, there's no reason to argue them other than the fact that we're arguing. In other words, um, if you were to say, you know, if you explain X, Y, Z to me, I would change my opinion on whether to wear masks or not to wear masks or whatever. Well, if you said that and then I presented the facts and you then changed your opinion, that would be one thing. But the people that go, I will, you know, I'm never going to do this. Well, then I, I really it's just like an argument for argument's sake. And I hate that more than anything, you know? So I just really, over the past few months, like every day, I feel myself a little bit less wanting to interact with people. I interact with my close circle of friends and I interact with, uh, you know, my family members and stuff, but just, 
I don't know. I feel myself kind of um, closing inward. But one of the things that has helped me greatly over the past few months has been listening to podcasts and listening to, uh, you know, the voices of the people I know. I'm not talking about even, I mean, there are some that uh, I listen to that are done by celebrities or, or quote unquote, big podcasters, you know, and, and it's, it's always fun to listen to those, but there are podcasts that are done by, you know, people that I know in, that I've met in real life and, and that it's just good to hear their voice and it's good to hear them uh, talking and it's, there's something soothing about it, you know, and what I've kind of realized over the past few months, um, and, and this is not to sound egotistical when I say, I have been depriving people because that almost sounds like, you know, that a, that, that, uh, that I owe podcasts and I don't feel like that's the case. And number one, that people are clamoring for them. I don't necessarily know that's the case either, but, um, I guess a better way to say that is, um, you know, I have been calmed, maybe soothed, comforted, whatever word by listening to other people do podcasts. And I realized by not doing shows, there may be other people that felt the same way by not listening to my shows. And so, um, I feel like, um, not an obligation, but I feel like this is something I can do. I can't control what's going on with coronavirus right now. I can't control, um, the, the behaviors that people are doing that, that may be getting them sick. There's a lot of things that I can't control, but this is something I can control. I can put together shows. I can record things. I can send these out. And hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this show, if you're listening to Sprite Castle or Multiple Sadness or any of the other shows that I do, um, hopefully, once we get past this introduction, you're not thinking about coronavirus. You're not thinking about what's going on. I hope that this sidetracks you for an hour. And I hope that you can think about something else. And I hope uh, that the way that I feel when I listen to those shows is that I find a little bit of entertainment and it's a little time that I could spend not worrying about other stuff. So that is really has been the inspiration uh, and maybe the light that went on in my thick head uh, to kind of kickstart this. So the other thing that has been going on is, and we're, this kind of is going to play into this entire episode, is... I now have a podcasting area, and and we'll be talking about what that area is uh, later on in the show. But I have an area now where I could come 24 hours a day when a kid is not in it, (laughs) and we could talk about that too. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I could come in and have this area to myself. I could come out at 3 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon whenever I want sit down, record my thoughts, uh, and then, you know, of course, edit them and, and send them out or whatever. So, uh, so I should say right now that that I'm hoping will lead to a more consistent podcasting schedule on my part. If you want to see what podcasts, uh, that I'm doing or the latest episodes, go to podcast.robohara.com and you will see all of them there. Each podcast has its own feed. There's an RSS feed right on the website if you want to subscribe that way, or they're all on iTunes. But there's also a master feed that gets all my shows. So if you think, hey, I like this one and, and I might like this other one too, you can just subscribe to that. Also, there may be a couple other shows 
uh, in the works at some point. I don't know. I'm playing around with some things. But uh, if you subscribe to the Master Feed, you'll get whatever show I do. They'll always show up there. So, um. The other thing that I got asked a little bit was what happened to my Patreon. A couple of people asked me, and they said it disappeared, and I did shut down my Patreon. Um, I want to thank everybody who supported me the whole time I was doing it, but honestly, I just felt too guilty leaving it open, um, especially when I wasn't producing shows, and of course, I wouldn't collect anyway. I, I put it on pause when I had stopped podcasting, but uh, I didn't want to surprise anybody, you know, if I just decided three months later to turn it back on. I didn't want to, you know, get people billed or whatever. Um, and also, I know that, that money, uh, you know, especially for people that have been out of work, I don't want to deprive anybody. I don't want people to feel guilty if they're not, um, you know, donating or supporting my shows or whatever. And uh, um, I just didn't feel like <laughs> this, this sounds uh, a little crazy, but. I didn't feel like what I was doing was worth what people were giving to me. Uh, so I certainly appreciated it. And all the funds that I got have gone back into the show. As I mentioned on Sprite Castle, I bought a um, a silent mouse. So when I click, if I use the mouse during the show, there's no clicking sound. And, and um, you know, I paid for my Blue Yeti microphone through Patreon money at the time. So, uh, you know, all the money went back into hardware. And so what I have done... You can find the link, again, on uh, my podcast home site, po podcast.robohara.com. Uh, but there is a, a, a uh, PayPal link for people if they want to provide, uh, I think there's a $5 link and a $10 link. I'm not asking you to do that. Um, you know, if you uh, – I'm not asking. I'm just saying that it's there. Some people have asked me for that. So I put it there. The link is there. I said it. I'm not going to push it every episode, but um, and some people, several people, actually uh, donated through uh, uh, after the Sprite Castle, and it's greatly appreciated. Put a little bit of money there in uh, the PayPal links, and I'm not sure. I've got a few things on um, on my list of uh, upgrades. I, I definitely need to get some uh, noise canceling foam and some other stuff, and so I've kind of got a list of things in my head that the money is uh, that I'm going to save the money towards. Um, but it always goes towards, uh, you know, something to do with, with one of the podcasts. So, uh, but anyway, so that is there. Um, so I talked a little bit about, you know, why I haven't been podcasting again. Um, uh, you know, we, we moved a little over a year ago and I've been in a, a house with nothing on the walls and the echo is just terrible. I've recorded shows. They didn't sound good. Um, you know, it, it just, uh, until I, you know, I kind of put this as a goal of when I had this new space available, that is partly when I would start podcasting again. And so here we are. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about during loading time is this other project I've been working on. And I know that, um, a lot of you guys are retro computing guys. Uh, so as I've been moving office space, one of the things that I moved was this large, um, you know those plastic tubs that they sell? Uh, I see about garage sales all the time now, but they have this really large one. It's uh, about two foot wide, maybe, and three drawers tall. It's this big, massive thing, and I turned it into a disc holder. So each set of, of drawers, each drawer holds about 600 floppy disks, and uh, the top one 
is all my old Commodore floppies from when I was a kid. I had about 620, a little over 600 uh, floppy disks that I amassed from the, the mid-80s until the early 90s. And then the other two drawers, which are also both full, um, have floppy disks that I've obtained over the years from buying collections or eBay lots or all, all the different kind of stuff. And so... Uh, when I was moving uh, offices, and uh, that's going to be part of the show in a bit, but I had pulled the drawers out, and the drawers got tipped over, and so all the floppies went out everywhere. So I had to put all the floppies back and sort everything out. And I have been doing a lot of emulation over the past year, and emulation is great, but part of emulation that I don't get is that tactile feedback. I like holding my original old floppy disk from back in the day. I like looking at the labels. I like the the sleeves. I enjoy that part of uh, collecting. And so while I had all these disks out and I had to resort them because they're all numbered and they were all jumbled up from being spilled all, uh, you know, all over the floor, uh, I came up with the idea to scan them in on my flatbed scanner. Now, I have already converted, you know, archived these into D64 disk images, so I have the data, but I never had pictures of the disks, which sounds a little weird, but, uh, you know, there's something about flipping through this directory of photos and looking at the disks and seeing the the game labels and stuff that I just really enjoyed, you know? And so uh, I did spend two or three days and did that. I scanned them all in. I've put them on my website. I will put a link to the show notes if you really want to see them. I don't know that anybody other than me would find it that interesting, but... Um, I, you know, I feel like it's more of a complete collection now. Like it's more, uh, of an archive, not just the data, but the actual pictures themselves. So that has been kind of a, a, a fun project. So, uh, listen, the notes from the show have loaded up. So, uh, let me just end loading time by saying, if you have feedback about this episode or any other episode of this show or any of my other shows, you can email your feedback to me at robohara at robohara.com. You can drop me a message on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash, oh, this is, look how out of date this is. It's forward slash robcasts. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Or you can leave me a voice message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. That's for you don't know flat. So uh, with uh, that underway, let's get started talking about the current state of affairs. Well, again, welcome back. I am truly humbled at all the feedback I got after Sprite Castle. I know the guys on uh, the Amigos, Amigo Aaron and John, uh, had some nice things to uh, to say about me and my shows. And um, you know, it's always the thing about podcasting. I, I've never worked in radio, but I, you know, when, when you talk on the radio, and I can only imagine. I mean, I'm just making this up. I just said I never did it. <laughs> But when you talk on the radio, people call in, you get feedback, you know, you have this immediate thing. When you do podcasts, you record a show and you put it on the internet and then you just sit and wait. And and nor, I don't even do that anymore. I don't sit and wait. I just move on to the next thing. And so you don't know if people are listening the next day or six months later or a year later or maybe never, you know. And so there's that weird void where when you don't get feedback, you don't know if anybody's listening. And so uh, 
I got some feedback after releasing a new episode of Sprite Castle. I got some feedback from other podcasters and stuff, and so I really appreciate it all. And uh, I'm just glad to know that there is still an audience out there for uh, me and the, the shows that I record. So I decided to get back on the mic last weekend for You Don't Know Flack. I was trying to come up with a uh, a topic, and since I had just recently moved into a new house, I was going to talk about all the moves that I had done, you know, from house to house. That episode is, I did the recording, it's over two hours long, I fell asleep twice trying to edit it. You know, I, I think, number one, uh, I mean, it was good, it, it kind of uh, let me work off the ring rust a little bit, but... You know, it wasn't technical in nature, and not every episode of You Don't Know Flack is technical, but a lot of them are, and I know a lot of you guys are, and it just didn't come out very interesting, I didn't think. So I kind of scrapped that, um, and then thought I would just kind of cut to the chase uh, of of what the core of that episode, of what I wanted to talk about, and that is my most recent move. So uh, this story begins in 2018. Now... Actually, it doesn't, <laughs> which is a terrible way to start a story. It really kind of starts in the house before the house I lived in, two houses ago. Um, that house was uh, basically a four-bedroom house all on one story, and then there was one bonus room upstairs. And I took that bonus room over as my man cave. So I put all my video game consoles up there. I put all my retro computers and stuff. But this was also the house that was on uh, a really large lot. It was uh, basically a half-acre lot. And then another, the half-acre lot between my house and the neighbor's house, we had split it, or the people before us had split it. So it was a lot and a half. And on that part, the previous owner had built a workshop, which is what I turned into my home arcade. So it had enough room. I had put 30 arcade machines in there at one time. Uh, and and so we didn't think that we were ever going to move from that house. It was in the school district we liked. We liked the house. We really liked everything about it. We liked all our neighbors. And then we found... Uh, what we called the mansion, which was the last house that I lived in. So uh, the mansion uh, was 4,200 square foot. It was by far the biggest house. Uh, it, I'm sure it's the biggest house I will have ever lived in by the end of my life. I, I don't think I will ever live in a house that's larger than that. Um, it was two stories. It had five bedrooms. It had Gosh, one, two, three living areas. It had, uh, you know, just so much space. Um, and and the coolest thing about that house, uh, above having this, like I had a Star Wars room. Like I've talked about that. I had a room literally that was just for my Star Wars collection. It served no other purpose. Uh, when you have that many rooms in a house, you can have a, a Star Wars room. <laughs> you can do a lot of goofy stuff that doesn't really make sense, you know. And part of the problem with that house was, uh, well, before I say that, let me say this. The best thing about that house was that it looked like a mansion. So when people came over, uh, when they pulled up, they were like, is this all one house? 
I mean, it doesn't look like a uh, a mansion from, you know, Beverly Hills or some gigantic thing, but it was a big house. And when people walked in, they were like, holy cow, this is a big house. People would get lost going to the bathrooms and stuff. Like, it was a large house. And so there was that impressive factor where you pop your collar a little bit and you go, yeah, this is my house. Now, here's the reality behind it. Number one, uh, we had purchased this house uh, because the previous owner moved and couldn't afford to sell it. It had got turned back over or, or reclaimed from the bank. Uh, they had dropped the price. It was so cheap. It was really, it was not that much more expensive than our previous house. And it was way cheaper uh, than you know it should have cost. So we got a really, really, really good deal. If this house had been sold for normal market value, there's no way I could have afforded it. Um, but what we found out was just because uh, you can afford a, a large house like that, that doesn't mean that you can afford upkeep on <laughs> a large house like that. Um, you know, so people came over and the part that they saw was this giant house with huge ceilings and big rooms and all these multiple places. That's what they saw. Here's what they didn't see. I had $500 a month electric bills just trying to heat and cool that place. Um, I, I mean, it, there were so many other expenses that, you know, that were involved in owning uh, this big house, right? And um, the reality was is that my son uh, was about to become a junior and we know that when he graduates, which he did just graduate, that he plans to go to college and that, you know, he'll be moving out of the house. And so now all of a sudden we have, and he was really living upstairs by himself at the time already. So he had his bedroom upstairs, a bathroom upstairs, a, uh, a living room with his video game stuff upstairs. So he really only came down mostly in the middle of the night to get food. <laughs> so we never saw him. It literally, if we wanted to get a hold of him, we had to text him or call him and get him to come down. So uh, it was a weird experience where you had this house and you feel like it's everything you wanted, but you can never find other people. Like I would go upstairs to work during the day and there were times where I came downstairs. I didn't know my wife was home. She didn't know I was home. Like we just bumped into each other. So that led, I mean, it was just a weird feeling, right? And so with Mason uh, planning, you know, to go to college and move out, then it was just going to be three people. And it's just, it was just too much house, you know? Um, and so we talked about it and we started talking about buying, you know, moving to a different area. The other thing about this house was, uh, for as big as it was, it had a pretty small yard. There was not room for a pool, which is something we had talked about wanting to do. And more importantly, there wasn't room for a building or a workshop. So there was never going to be room for arcade games, unfortunately. And so, you know, that's something we talked about, too. And so we started kind of looking around for other houses. And we found a house that we really liked. It's a brand new house. And it's in the other half of the same neighborhood. Now, the two halves of the neighborhood are divided by a gate, uh, which is strange. I don't know why that is. But uh, I guess technically it's a separate neighborhood that used to connect through a public road. And now they've put up a giant gate <laughs> with a chain on it. And you can't go. So... Even though I could, I could probably stand on my roof and see my old house, but it's three fourths of a mile drive because you have to go out to a main road and and go all the way around. But anyway, um, you know, I really struggled with looking at this new house because uh, I almost felt like buying a smaller house was a failure. I've like, you know, 
we're buying this because, like, I didn't want to tell people, um, and we could have afforded the other house. We could have lived there forever. But all of our money was going into that house. Not all of our money, but a lot of money was going into the house. We were paying to heat and cool areas that we weren't using, you know. I mean, within a year, we would be heating and cooling an entire floor of a house that nobody was using. So... I really was struggling with downsizing. I felt like downsizing was equal to failure, you know? And I finally had a friend said, you know, don't call it downsizing. Call it right-sizing. You are looking for a house that is a better fit for your family and your needs and uh, and the space. And so once he said that term right-sizing, uh, something clicked in my head. I was like, that makes sense. Now... This new house that we looked at uh, is, uh, uh, you know, more, I mean, there's still uh, one, two, three, four bedrooms plus a bonus room. Uh, and there's four bathrooms, which I absolutely love. Everybody in my house has their own bathroom. So nobody gets on anybody anymore about, did you leave the toilet seat up? <laughs> did you do this? Did you do that? It doesn't matter because everybody has their own bathroom. The kids have their own. I have one that's right next to my office. And um, then the one in the master bedroom is is pretty much uh, my wife's territory. So, um, so even though this house, you know, quote unquote, was uh, more of a right size for us, it is a smaller house, and uh, you know, the amount of things you own—I I don't know about you, but for me, the amount of things I own always fills the space I live in plus about 5%. <laughs> I always have just a little bit too much stuff in my living area. And so, uh, you know, you think, well, I would never run out of space in a 4,200 square foot house. Uh, and we hadn't run out of space, but I was definitely filling it, right? I was buying Star Wars things to fill this room. I was buying retro consoles and buying, you know, all these things and just filling the space. My garage was stuffed. I had a three-car garage that you couldn't get a single car in, you know. I had to move things around to get my motorcycle in. It was really out of control. So we knew that if we moved to this new house, we were going to have to get rid of a lot of stuff. Um, but part of the plan of moving to the new house was building a workshop. And so this this workshop that we talked about uh, was going to be 1,200 square feet. It is, uh, not to spoil the ending, but it is 1,200 square feet. And we came up with the idea that we would divide it in half. So half of it would be finished, almost like a house, and the other half would just be a workshop, you know, um, a place for me to put tools and, and work on things and, and just kind of have... Uh, uh, my own little space, you know, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of a midlife crisis. I don't know, but, uh, um, it, it just kind of felt like, you know, I wanted this, this little space of my own, you know, but the thing was, we knew that when we moved, we weren't going to have that space. Right. Uh, so that meant a lot of our stuff had to go in storage until the workshop had been built. So, uh, all my star Wars collection, my entire star Wars collection went into a storage unit. Um, all my retro games and my consoles went into the garage at the new house. Um, and then most importantly was when we had looked at the house, there was a large room that I said this would make a perfect home office slash, you know, game room, whatever for me. Uh, and it's called the flex room. Uh, I guess you could make it whatever you want. So they, they labeled it on the, um, on the plans as a flex room. It's uh, like 15 by 15. It's this big room. But 
um, when we moved, like I had uh, home theater chairs that weren't going to have a spot until the workshop was done because I want to turn half the workshop into a movie room, right? So that went into the flex room. I had a spare, large, flat-screen TV that didn't have anywhere to go, so that went into the flex room. So the flex room kind of became this overflow movie room, video game room, all that, and the kids loved hanging out there, and that's great, but that was supposed to be my home office. So my home office became the fourth bedroom, which is a small uh, like a, a child's bedroom. I mean, it's like mm, 10 by 11, something like that. And, uh, which my wife had wanted for her office. Uh, so my wife ended up setting up a, basically a table in the corner of our master bedroom, which, uh, you know, I work in it. I can work from anywhere. Give me a laptop, send me to Starbucks. I'm great. My wife is a, she manages several hundred people. And so she has these Zoom meetings and like before these meetings, you know, we would have to make sure all the dirty clothes, you know, move the hampers and do things so that she could get online. You know, it was really, uh, she took the biggest sacrifice uh, during this move. But our plan was uh, to sell the house, sell the old house, uh, buy the new house. And then uh, because we had enough equity in the old house, take that money and build a workshop. Well, um, sometimes life doesn't happen the way that you plan it. And so uh, every time that I've bought and sold a house before, we always bought the house on a contingency, uh, which, which means I'm sure you, you probably know. But what that means is uh, you put your old house up for sale and then you make an offer on a new house, but you don't have to buy it unless your old house sells. But we really wanted to grab this new house we knew our old house would sell really quickly, uh, and so we bought the new house before we sold our old house. Spoiler alert, <laughs> the old house did not sell for almost a year. So we bought this house, the new house, in October of 2018. Um, I will say it was convenient to own two houses for moving purposes because we could just go over to the old house, get some stuff, come bring it over to the new house. We did use a, uh, a moving service, and I've talked about online before, that somehow, in that short distance between the old house and the new house, I had a 50-inch television disappear, which pisses me off to this day because I know it's on that moving truck. I know it is. There's no other place it could be. And I know that when they got back, they were like, oh, look, a 50-inch TV and because we had so many TVs and we had put so many things in different rooms and storage and this and that, it took me a while to realize that the television was missing. Oh, it makes me mad that they didn't just call me and say, oh, by the way, we found this television. But anyway, <laughs> so we bought this house in October 2018. We were like, oh, the old house will sell. And then the old house did not sell. We had a realtor that signed on for six months, and she did not sell the house in six months. And it was always something. She said, you know, oh, I'll sell it by Christmas. And then it was, well, this is a hard time of year to sell a house. Or maybe I'll sell it, you know, the spring will be good. Spring will sell this house. And spring didn't sell the house. And it went on and on. We, after six months, we let her go. We hired a different realtor for three months, and she didn't sell the house. Uh, and so, I mean, we were getting really super, 
I won't say desperate, but pretty nervous. Um, carrying two mortgages for nine months. I mean, and the whole, I mean, not the whole reason, but one of the reasons we were wanting to get rid of the other house was, you know, these massive bills. So now we were still making the massive bills, uh, plus a new house. <laughs> uh, and in the middle of that was that long government furlough, you might remember, uh, which was over a month long where we didn't get paid. So we missed two paychecks and we did eventually get back pay, but that didn't help us at the time when we were trying to make two house payments plus, you know, feed and uh, family of four and, and keep up on bills. And uh, it, it was a rough time. You know, I'm not going to lie. It was a rough time. Uh, and, and, I'm going to immediately dial back that, that statement. It was a rough time mentally. There was no point where we worried about food or shelter or losing our things. So it was not a tough time like many people in this country have had tough times. So I don't want to sell it like that. But it was a very stressful time for sure. And it was a time where uh, there's there's a phrase that my wife coined a long time ago called lockdown mode. And we've had it before, like when if one of us uh, was out of work when we were younger or during these furloughs, um, there was a time where, where you know, like a, like a lot of people, we, we lived paycheck to paycheck, you know, when we were first married. And there were times where we had very little money to last to the next paycheck. And so my wife would say, look, it's time for lockdown mode. And lockdown mode meant no more spending, no more buying uh, you know, toys, no more spending money on, on entertainment, no going to the movies, no, you know, no driving around for fun, uh, because we were trying to save gas money. A lockdown mode basically means we're going to lockdown mode usually starts with a trip to Aldi's and my wife will stock up on, uh, my wife grew up as a Girl Scout camp counselor and she can go through a, a uh, pantry and pick out four things and feed 20 people. <laughs> and so uh, when we go into lockdown mode, it usually starts, she will go to Aldi's and pick up spaghetti and eggs and flour and whatever, three or four things. And she can make meals, you know, uh, uh, ground beef, whatever. And she could feed the family for a long time. And so there were a few times where we went into lockdown mode and it was like, you know, I own this gigantic house. I own another brand new house. We own all these things. We, you know, everybody in the house has their own car. I had a motorcycle, all these things. And yet inside we're like, oh, we're having spaghetti again. Oh, we're having sandwiches. You know, I mean, it was, it, it was a, a tight time for sure. So anyway, when, when we moved to the new house, we knew that space was going to be tight, as I already mentioned, until we got this workshop done. And so, uh, I didn't, I didn't know how big a workshop could even be like Susan, uh, my wife, she asked me, how big do you want your workshop? And I was like, I don't know. Um, 1800 square foot. And she said, okay, is that a good size? I'm like, I have no idea. I just pulled that number out of my head. You know, that's not where I pulled that number out of. And so, um, we we had to get it approved by uh, the guy that owns the neighborhood. I don't know how to explain this other than there's an HOA, but until X amount of houses have been built, it's owned by, it's managed by the guy that owns the neighborhood until he turns it over to the HOA. Eventually it did become the HOA, so I should just say that. But uh, someone had to approve the building. And they said, no problem. Yeah, go get it built. And so we hired uh, a building contractor. My wife found a guy that lived in our neighborhood. He lived in the old half of the neighborhood. 
And um, we said, hey, we want to build this building, and we want to build it. Uh, we want it to be 1,800 square foot. And he goes, you can't do that. <laughs> he goes, Oklahoma City won't allow you to build a building that large unless you have uh, more than five acres, you know, and my yard is uh, like three-fourths of an acre. He says the biggest you're going to have in the city limits like that is is 1,200 square foot. And I went, oh, I guess I want 1,200 square foot. And so the idea that I had had all along was, like I said, I wanted half unfinished. I just wanted half to look like, you know, a basic garage, unfinished uh, walls, concrete floor, a place where I could put tools and go out and, and be, uh, you know, Tim, the tool man, basically. And then the other half I wanted to be, uh, it started off me saying I wanted the whole thing to be a movie room. Uh, but then when I started looking at it on paper, you know, 600 square foot movie room is pretty big. You know, I mean, it's 30 by 20. It's a big space. And we came up with the idea to make, uh, a, a third of it a movie room lobby and then two thirds of it, the movie room. So we kind of uh, plotted this out where the movie room would be 20 by 20 and then the lobby would be 10 by 20. Now I didn't really know uh, what I was going to put in the lobby at that time. Um, and uh, uh, I'm going to talk about that. Uh, I don't want to talk about that just yet. You know, um, I want to talk about what it became, but, but that was what was in my head was I wanted it to be like the lobby. So you would walk into this room and there would be the lobby of a theater and then you would continue past the lobby and you would enter the theater. So that, that was the idea in my head. So, uh, but I don't want to talk about that yet. What I want to talk about right now is this little one line thing I wrote down, which says Rob's retro room philosophy, AKA the three little bears. <laughs> Actually, it's not the three little bears. It's Goldilocks and the, and the three bears. Um, but I'm sure, uh, if you have kids or if you ever were a kid, which should be everybody, you probably remember the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, where Goldilocks uh, finds this cottage in the woods, and she goes in, and everything that she does, there's three of. There's the three chairs, you know, this chair, and it, one chair belongs to the, the the baby bear, and then there's Mama Bear and, and Papa Bear, right? And so this chair is too small, because it belongs to the baby. And this chair is too big, because it's Daddy's, you know. But then she finds the chair that is just right. And the same thing with the bowls of porridge, right? This one is too hot. This one is too cold, and this one is just right, you know. Um, this is really the third set, or the th my third attempt, I guess I would say, um, at building a, I don't even know what you call it. It's not really just a single room. It's not a single man cave. It's not a retro room, but it's a, a third attempt at, um, I don't know, my collection, I guess, and not all my collections. I'm not talking about Star Wars, but but um, you know my video game and retro kind of collection, right? Um, and so, in the first house, which was two houses ago, and that was the one where I had the entire upstairs. Uh, it was one giant room. It was like, oh gosh, I don't know, six hundred square foot, roughly. And that was the bowl of porridge that was too hot. That was the chair that was too big. I had this one room and I was like, you know what I'm going to put in here? Everything. <laughs> I built a set of shelves that held, 
I'm, I, I don't want to exaggerate. I think I had 20-something consoles set up. And what I had done was uh, I had – I bought – like I, you know how people would like buy gum, like packs of gum. I was buying packs of AV switch boxes, you know, that would have allow you to switch four things: one, two, three, four, and then one set of RCA outputs, right? But I had to put those switch boxes into other switch boxes. I was daisy chaining switch boxes, right? So, like I on one row, I had uh, my Nintendo, and then the Super Nintendo. And then uh, the Nintendo 64 and maybe my GameCube. I don't remember if I had it. I think I did have composite uh, on that GameCube. But so four different Nintendos, right? One, two, three, and four plugged into a Switch box. But then that Switch box was plugged into another Switch box, which then ran to my television. So if I wanted to play uh, Super Nintendo, I had to put the first Switch box on two and the second switch box on one. And then the next row would have been, you know, my PlayStation, my PlayStation 2. Uh, I don't remember if I had PlayStation 3 yet or not. But but that's the idea, right? Like, it was this crazy matrix to get all these different things hooked up. And actually, that's not true uh, about the Nintendo 64 because I had an entire shelf... Uh, I had three different Nintendo 64 console copiers. I have a, a CD64. I have a Z64. <sighs> What's the other one? Oh, Dr. 64. So I had each one of those hooked up to different Nintendo 64s just so I could play them. You know, So I had an entire set of Switch boxes just hooked up. <laughs> to Nintendo 64s. And the last switch box was a Pelican AV selector, which had eight inputs. So it was this crazy system where, uh, you know, if somebody came over and they were like, I would like to play uh, ColecoVision. Well, hold on. Okay, we're ready. (laughs) Like it was all, you know, I had uh, power strips plugged into power strips, plugged into power strips. It is amazing that that room never burned down. Uh, and by the way, that room was always 80 degrees <laughs> with nobody in it. It was always super hot. Uh, cause I just had all this stuff and, and, you know, I would turn the power supplies off sometimes. Um, but you know, and, and then I had on the AV selector, I had two outputs and one went to a TV and the other one went to a projector so I could play it on this giant projector. It was just, it was too much. And I'll tell you, uh, this is a example of how it was too much. Uh, I, this was back when I, I talked about this, this was this amazing summer where every retro, you know, thing like, disk drives and, and Ataris and all that. They were just flooding uh, thrift stores. They were everywhere. You could go into a thrift store, and then this was the summer where I said, I'm going to buy every Sega Genesis that I find that's less than $5 or $10, whatever it was. I think it was $5. But I stopped at like 10 or 11 or 12 Like, you could just keep buying them. They were everywhere, you know? I bought uh, an Apple II with disk drives for two nine no a dollar ninety eight because it's written on the top of the apple it says one ninety eight I left the price tag on there just because it was a a crazy deal you know and so it was it was that right before eBay blew up where people were just dumping old old electronics and I was buying them in that same room I had a 
eight-foot plastic table, and on the table I had an Apple uh, IIe hooked up. I had my Commodore 64 hooked up. I had an Amiga, I think my Amiga 500. I don't think I had my 1200 yet, but I had all these computers. You know, so it was just everything all the time. Everything's ready to go. And to get back to that story, uh, when I was buying those Genesis consoles, I didn't have, notice how I paused because <laughs> I could never figure out a good way to pluralize Genesis, like Genesis, Genesis, you know, so I always say Genesis consoles. So, um, when I was buying those, I didn't have any Genesis games. And so I bought this lot, uh, on eBay and I think it was like 30 games for $50, all Genesis and they were all boxed. And so I had to build these shelves to hold them. And then I just started collecting Genesis games. I never played them. I'm, I would say 99% of the Genesis games I owned. And at one point, I owned like 200 box Genesis games. I didn't even own them. I just liked looking at them. I liked putting them on the shelf because, you know, they're boxed and, and they look cool. Um, but it was that kind of room. It was so, And it was a little overwhelming, to be honest with you. you know. So that was the porridge was too hot. So in the... The house that I, I've been calling the mansion house. By the way, we never refer to that. Like, my wife has never said. She never called it a mansion. I've never said the word mansion to her. It's just a good way to to keep track in your head of, of which of these houses are which. But in the mansion house, um, because I had the Star Wars room, off of the Star Wars room was a probably 9 by 9 um closet that someone had turned into a small home office. I had a built-in desk and I put some uh, desks around, you know, some tables around the, the edge. It was probably bigger than 9 by 9 Maybe it was 10 by 10 but uh, regardless, there wasn't a lot of room in there. I mean, I had shelves in there where I had some stuff but, um, uh, you know, it was more, there was room for a few monitors and stuff. And so I really kind of got into emulation. I mean, I've always been into emulation, but uh, that kind of became my primary way of gaming. Like, I didn't have room to hook up. Uh, I did have my Commodore hooked up in there, but that's when I bought my Mist. And so instead of running an, a real Apple II system, I just ran stuff off the Mist. Um I, I had a Raspberry Pi with um, uh, Pi Arcade, or I think that's what it's called, but um, or Picade. Uh, but it has, you know, NES and Super Nintendo and, and Genesis and all that stuff. So instead of dragging all that stuff up there, I just had a Raspberry Pi and one gamepad. And that was kind of how I did my gaming. And so, um, you know, in, in the, the main or the upstairs living area... I had the Wii hooked up. I had the uh, PlayStation 3 hooked up. Uh, you know, I think we had an Xbox 360. So I had all those things hooked up, but nobody played them. I didn't play them. Uh, it was really just about, like, downsizing. And when I say downsizing to a lot of people, that sounds like selling stuff. I don't sell it. Like, I have all these consoles still boxed up and in storage. I didn't get rid of them. It was just I didn't drag them out and, and have everything hooked up. And that was really... Um, for me, that was the porridge that was too cold. It wasn't really, um, that fulfilling, you know, um, I like, I like these mini consoles. I like, uh, playing with stuff like that, but there's just like what I talked about at the beginning about the, uh, scanning and the floppy disks. Like there's something about the physical part of seeing those disks that, um, you know, just talks to my soul and it's different for everybody and that's fine. But, but for me, there is a physical aspect of, you know, retro collecting that I enjoy. And so, 
Um, it it worked as a solution, but it, it you know it. I don't know. Just didn't um, play my heartstrings, you know. And so um, this house, uh, you know, I, I've like I said, I've had all this stuff in storage. I've had everything, and and now. Uh, the waterfall, not the waterfall, the domino effect has begun. And so the domino effect was the building got finished. And I was able to take uh, all those movie chairs from the flex room and move them out into the movie room. I was able to take all the movie posters that I had framed in the flex room and bring them out to the movie room. I was able to uh, bring out the extra chairs that I had that I'd been saving uh, that were in a, in the corner of the room and bring them out into the movie room lobby, the extra shelves that I've been saving, all these things. So once I had all that stuff out, I was able to move from my office, the little small office, into the flex room. With that open, my wife was able to get out of our bedroom and move into the small office. So this domino, you know, it, it's a... a just a cascading series of events that is still, we're not done. It's still happening. I'm still every day moving things, unboxing things. And it's weird to be unboxing a year and a half after you moved. You know, it's a, it's definitely a strange feeling to, uh, you know, run across stuff that you haven't seen in over a year and a half. And, and it begs the question, if you haven't seen it in a year and a half, do you still want it? Spoiler. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do sell out my stuff. Um, but uh, uh, so now just for the first time, I have the, the flex room all to myself, this 15 by 15 room. Right now I have white plastic tables pushed up against the walls. I do plan on getting some real desks, but unfortunately uh, the nearest Ikea to me is four hours away. I really wanted to go get some of those white laminate tabletops and build real tables, but uh, uh, the Ikea, they just don't have anything. And the stores haven't been open, and even and the shipping was like $200 for you know a $50 tabletop. I'm, just, I'm not doing that. So, uh, so for right now, the, the white plastic tables are going to have to suffice. But anyway, so this, the flex room, is um, the porridge that's just right for me. And so... Here's what I currently have in the room right now. Uh, I have my main PC. Uh, and this is the my computer that I write blog posts on and surf the web and do all that. Uh, but I also have MAME installed on it. And um, so if I'm going to do arcade playing right now, I, I, I do it on MAME on that machine. Uh, I do a little emulation, but I, I'm trying to get away from just doing everything on, on the one computer. kind of tired of doing that, you know. Um, on the next table over, well, I have a table that has my work computer and my, and monitors and stuff like that. Um, but next to that is, um, uh, my mist. Now I don't have a mister, which is the newer version of the mist. I really want one. I don't know why I want one though. I want one because of the other people that have them and because there's, uh, development going on for it. Whereas development for the mist is pretty much dried up, but the things that I enjoy on the mist all pretty much work okay, right? So I have the uh, uh, basically I use it for Amiga. I used it a little bit for Commodore, um, you know. So it, it it does decent emulation. Well, it's not emulation; it's an FPGA, so it does uh, simulation, right? But um, uh, but it's compact. It's a tiny little box, and I've got a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse hooked up to it. So um, so I'm enjoying the mist. And then right next to that, I have a monitor and some speakers, and I have two mini uh, consoles. The first is 
the PlayStation Mini, uh, PlayStation Classic, I think it was, um, which uh, I only bought it A, when it went on sale, and B, when I knew it could be hacked. <laughs> I looked at the game selection. I mean, my all-time favorite PlayStation game uh, is Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. It's in my top 10 list of arcade games of, or video games of all time. And when I saw it wasn't on there, I just wasn't interested until I could play that on there. So uh, so I do have it uh, hacked, and, and I put my copy of Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater 2 on there, and pretty much that's the only game I play on it, to be honest. But uh, there are a few others, uh, and I really like... There's not that many of them, I feel like, but there, there were some really beautiful uh, platform, you know, 2D-type games that made it to the PlayStation that I, I really adore. Um, but for as beautiful as those are, it has some really ugly 3d games. And, uh, those just, not only do they not look great then, but they haven't, they haven't aged well. So, uh, but I do have that hooked up. And then next to that, I have my Commodore 64 mini, which to be honest, has been my primary Commodore 64 gaming machine because I haven't had the space to hook up my, my real system lately. Now, uh, what I really, really want is, um, and it's confusingly called the 64 or the C64. It is the C64 mini, but in the full size case, it has not been yet released in North America. They released, uh, the PAL version and, um, you can switch it back and forth between PAL and NTSC. So I don't, but you can't import it. Amazon won't let you order it anymore. I, I've tried, uh, to order it and and you can't. It says they won't deliver it to the U.S. Now here's the problem with that. I have a lot of Commodore 64 uh, solutions. I'm Dave and Man Dave. I, I know I'm going to mess up your last name. It's Z I L L E. I don't know if it's Zill, Zile, Zilly. Um, I think it's Zill is what I hope it is. But um, Dave is a listener from Canada and uh, he emailed me not too long ago. And mentioned the uh, BMC64, which is the bare metal C64. It's a build device that is designed to go right on top of the Raspberry Pi without another OS. So it is literally it installs, uh, you know, without an OS. And, you know, I, I've been looking at the specs. I haven't built one yet, but um, it has really good uh, refresh rates. It's able to, to scroll smoothly where some of the other emulators are not. Um, but you know, that's an option and, and, uh, I have two or three spare Raspberry Pis, but one of my spare Raspberry Pis has just been taken up from, uh, Mr. Uh, Bobby Moore, who has been a, uh, listener of mine for a long time and a supporter of the retro community. And one of those people that you just wish lived a little closer to you, uh, because I know he lives across the pond and uh, I constantly see him doing these projects where he's just, you know, he's like, oh, look, Posty's been. <laughs> That's for you, Bobby. And, uh, you know, it'll be this thing of chips and wires and stuff. And he's like, oh, I just I was bored. So I got a soldering iron. And I made these cool things and this and that. He's, he's that kind of guy that, like, you know, that if something broke, you would be like, hey, Bobby, um, I got this broken thing and also a six pack of beer. <laughs> Would you be willing to fix this for me? Uh, and, uh, you know, from all his posts and stuff, he just seems like a legitimately uh, fun guy to, to hang out with. Um, but Bobby 
recently mailed me a Pi fifteen forty one, which is a uh, Raspberry Pi based fifteen forty one. Again, not uh, is it an emulator? I guess it is an emulator, but it sits on top of a Raspberry Pi, and you plug it in, and it acts just like a real. 1541 disk drive. And so, um, uh, you know, if you're looking for a solution, right, I could build this BMC64. I could use my C64 mini. Um, I have an Ultimate 64, which is still in the box. I ordered it. It arrived. And because I just haven't had the space, I haven't done anything with it. So that's uh, uh, on my to-do list. So, you know, I really, really want this, the C64. And then uh, they, they said they had an announcement coming. They were going to announce something. And then they announced that they're releasing the VIC-20. <laughs> now, it's not nice to judge a computer based on its font. <laughs> um, but I've always disliked the TI-99 4A basically because I think its font looks stupid. And I think the Victoria is a lot like that. Like, I want to like it, you know, and it's like the little brother of the C64. And I feel like um, that in a fight, you know what it is? You know when your friend has a little brother who's annoying and then somebody picks on him and you still kind of stick up for him even though he's an annoying kid? Eh, it's kind of the... Vic 20. <laughs> like I don't play Vic 20 games. I'm just not into it. But if somebody came to pick on it, I might stand up for it, you know, just cause I like his brother. Um, but, uh, you know, the Vic 20 that they've announced and I haven't, you know, again, I can't order it. Um, uh, they won't ship it to the U S. Um, I requested a review one because I'd love to plug it in and, and check out the games and, and um, give it a, a fair shake, but uh, I didn't hear anything back. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess, uh, I mean, it's like people are saying, it, literally it's that it's that um, gif with uh, uh, Fry where he's holding the fistful of money. He's like, take my money. Like, people are lined up in the U.S. to buy the uh, V64. And so why they put out the VIC-20 um, first, I don't really know, but, um, uh, it's not, it's not on my purchase list. I, I, I wouldn't mind owning it and checking it out and playing with it for a week, you know? Um, and if they sent me a, a review copy, I would give it a fair shake, you know? And, and, um, uh, and who knows, maybe it would win me over as a Vic 20 user, but I, I really can't see, uh, going through the, jumping through the hoops to import one, uh, when I really, I want the, uh, the C64, but, um, so that's kind of what's in the room right now. Also, my 3D printer is hooked up. Uh, uh, I haven't really had space to do any 3D printing. And since hooking it back up, not only did I get my 3D printer hooked up, but I fixed a problem with it that I've had since almost day one. I didn't real. I thought it was a problem with the printer, but it turns out it was a software issue with the way it was doing um, layers and textures and stuff. And I have just been printing stuff like crazy uh, since moving to the new room, I mean, over the last month, I've probably printed a dozen things. Like, uh, and you know, over the past year and a half, I printed nothing. So it, it seems like a lot. Uh, my future plans for the room: I want to put more desks in there. I want to, like I said, I want to put some real tables and not just those uh, plastic tables. You know, I want to get my Commodore sixty four system uh, set back up and my real Apple II. You know, I have an Apple IIe. I have the CFFA three thousand card. That allows you to load Apple II images 
uh, off of a USB stick or a, a compact flashcard. So I want to get that hooked back up. And I might even hook up my Amiga. Now, I got to say, uh, I mean, I have, I have uh, gosh, I have an Amiga 500 and I have Amiga 1200. And I feel like I might have one other Amiga, which is stupid. I don't have a thousand. Do I have a six hundred? No, maybe it's just a five and a twelve that I have at this point. But because um, I've never owned a thousand and I've never owned a two thousand, I do have my CD thirty two, um, which um, Pixel um, Gaiden uh, on their podcast said uh, they said that some of those are going for. Uh, 400 plus on eBay for an NTSC one. And again, I'm not a guy that normally sells my stuff, but that is a price that might make me interested in selling my NTSC, uh, uh, CD 32. But, uh, so I definitely want to have an Amiga set up, but I, that doesn't mean I necessarily want a physical Amiga, uh, set up. I know, uh, uh, Aaron on the Amigas has been talking about the on Amiga, which is an FPGA Amiga that you can actually put inside, an Amiga case, if you want, um, you know, maybe that solution becomes a mister. Maybe it becomes one of the dedicated Raspberry Pi Amiga builds. I really don't know what it looks like at this point, but I, I do want to have some sort of dedicated, uh, Amiga space in the room. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, workshop. And so, as I mentioned before, there are three rooms on the workshop, and the first is uh, just the workshop. Here's a little inside information. We've now referred to the workshop as North Barbados. <laughs> and the reason for that is because I went to a garage sale about a month ago. Uh, it was the first weekend. It was back when they said, hey, coronavirus is getting better, and people can start going back outside. And so that first weekend, uh, they had a few local garage sales. And we went to one, and there was a, I, I don't know what you call this, it's, it looks like a painting, but it's not a painting. It is a print on canvas that has been framed, and it is probably four foot by two and a half or three foot. Maybe it's three foot by five foot. It's really big. And it is a print, but it is a print of a painting, and the painting is of a hand-painted sign that says Barbados, and it's on a uh, on a beach, and in the background you can see the, the ocean, and there's some palm trees, and uh, it was $5 at this garage sale, but then the day we went to the garage sale, everything was half off, so it was only $2.50, and it's gigantic. So um, I, I bought it, and, and we hung it. So I told my wife that um, the building is now officially known as Barbados. So the workshop, the garage half, is faces north, and so um, we decided that that's North Barbados. So um, North Barbados, the, the workshop, is uh, 30 by 20. It's 600 square foot, which... Um, it's, it's exactly the same as a three car garage. Basically that, I mean, it is a three car garage. Um, I watch a lot of, uh, tiny home specials. I love tiny houses and tiny homes that they always say that they're 192 square foot. So, which when they show on TV, you go, Oh, I could live in that, but it's literally a third <laughs> of the size of my workshop. I could put three tiny houses in my workshop. Um, 
So, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that's very workshoppy. Uh, you know, there's shelves. I put pegboard on the wall. I always wanted to have a wall of pegboard to hang my tools and stuff. And I, I, I really love it. I put some shelves out there. So there's, there's lots of storage, you know? Um, but on one set of shelves, I moved all my consoles out there. So I kind of have a console storage area. I have, you know, these, I have some uniform shaped boxes in each one. I put, you know, the, a console and the controllers and the power supply and whatever video cables. So if I wanted to go play GameCube, I don't have a GameCube hooked up right now, but I could go get that box and just set it up in a minute or two. So um, uh, I kind of have that little area set up. But most importantly, I have two arcade games. One is a 60 and one that I had hooked up at the old house that I'm I'm currently redoing right now. I'm I'm uh, just repainted it. I put side art on it. I'm, I'm upgrading the monitor. Um, and then I have a main project that I inherited that uh, needs new guts and stuff. So everything's there. I just need to get the PC up and running and, uh, you know, all the all the stuff you got to do, hook up a monitor and, and make it look pretty, you know. But um, uh, I got to tell you, uh, as a, a middle-aged man, I guess I would describe myself now, who's gone his whole life with... Uh, um, working on projects where you got to move stuff and then put it up at the end of the day, you got to drag all this stuff out and put it away. It is so nice to have a workplace where, you know, I just have an arcade game sitting in the middle of the garage. When I go out there, I go, Oh yeah, I'm going to work on that. And, and I put all my tools back in the end of the day. So, you know, tomorrow I know where my saws are. I know where my stuff is. I just really, really like it. You know, nobody would describe me as like an expert tool guy. I'm not really, you know, uh, this guy, I've never, I never built anything that looked like something you might want to buy. <laughs> it's a good way to describe it, but I build, you know, shelves that are functional and, and things like that. But, uh, it's just so nice to be able to have all your stuff, uh, in one place and, and know that when you come back the next day, nobody's going to, uh, you know, have moved anything on you. Uh, so then there's the back two rooms or South Barbados as we call it. Right. And there's the, uh, movie room first, right? So it is 20 by 20. Um, the very first choice I had to make was, was I going to put a projector in or a television? And I went back and forth and I kind of put the chairs in and I measured and I did all these online things. And, uh, this online calculator said, you know, the, the, uh, screen size you should be looking at is between 90 and a hundred inches or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I went and saw a projector at my friend's house and man, they looked really good, but it was a little noisy and, and I finally, I found a 86-inch TV uh, that uh, had just gone on sale. And so that's what I bought. So I, I do have a, a 4K uh, 80 or 86-inch TV, uh, which is, you know, kind of the foundation. And then I hooked up a uh, uh, a little Android box, which runs Kodi, so I can stream all my movies out here and stuff. And I hooked up... Uh, a bunch of speakers. It, it's uh, I bought a Yamaha tuner and, and I'm running Atmos, uh, so I have the 5.1, 5.2 technically surround sound. I put two subwoofers, uh, but I also put speakers, uh, you know, in the ceiling for overhead sound and stuff. So um, I just, you know, I really love movies. And at the last house, the uh, upstairs area that we kind of used as a game room and, and where my movie chairs were uh, had a balcony or like a, a rail that opened up to the rest of the house. So you couldn't, like literally, if you watched a movie, like the, let's say the volume goes from one to 10, and you put the volume on three upstairs, it was 
barely adequate, and downstairs it sounded like five. It was it was louder downstairs than it was for the people sitting upstairs watching a movie. So I just didn't watch a lot of movies. Plus, you know, if you um, listen to Multiple Sadness, my podcast about um, bad movies, and I talk about horror movies and stuff, I watch a lot of movies that weren't appropriate for kids. Uh, probably even to hear, much less walk in and see. So I just didn't use the, uh, I didn't use that room very much. So uh, I moved the movie chairs out here. We put some bean bags out. There's not a lot more out here right now. I painted it a really super dark blue and put some dark blue carpet in it. And man, I love it. Uh, I could just come out here at night and just watch, you know, the, the filthiest horror movies or whatever, and the kids are not coming out. My wife doesn't come out either. I try to get her to come out and watch movies. She's not a big movie watcher. If there's one problem with the room, it's that uh, the walls are mostly bare. And so when you're watching a movie, there's not a lot of echo, but when you're standing in there, if you talk loudly or something, you can hear a little echo, which is why I'm not using that as my podcast area. Um, but my podcast area, I moved out to the movie room lobby. And so I wanted to have, you know, I, from the very beginning, I envisioned the lobby where I'm sitting right now as a movie theater lobby. I wanted movie posters. I wanted a snack bar. I wanted those type of things, but, um, really there wasn't any reason to stay in the lobby. You know, like it was that area that you you walked through, you know, and I was I was talking to my friend uh, Guy Hutchinson. Uh, he's uh, the host. You should be following Guy Hutchinson on uh, Twitter or Facebook, and he's the host of Drunk on Disney, if you don't listen to that. Um, but he said, you know, why why have a room that's only meant to walk through? Like there's no reason to stay in this room. And he said, Find, you know, figure out what you want to do with this room and then make it that, you know, and, and it was just like, it's, it's basic advice, but it, something about it clicked, you know? And so, um, I've slowly been turning this room into a functional room. So the first thing I moved out here was poster pie. I've talked about poster pie online before. It is a project that I did. It runs off of a raspberry pie and it is a, uh, designed to show movie posters, uh, vertically. So you take, I took a, uh, uh, a 46 inch TV. I had a 50 inch TV, uh, that got stolen in a move. I don't know if I ever told that story. <laughs> I know I told that story. Um, but, uh, I, I got this TV and so it's mounted on the wall and it looks like a movie poster and it randomly selects movie posters. It loads them off my server and it changes posters like every five minutes. Uh, actually, I think it's set on two minutes right now. So it stays up there just long enough where it kind of gives the illusion that it's a movie poster and then later on it will change. So, um, so I put up poster pie cause I thought that would be a cool thing to have, you know, outside a, uh, a movie theater. And then I started building a little snack bar. I have, um, uh, you know, a little set of shelves here where I bought some different types of candy from the dollar store. Um, I have a, uh, gumball machine here that I put some atomic fireballs in and, and, uh, laffy taffy. The problem is that this room gets really hot during the day and the summer. And so like, I think all the laffy taffy's kind of melted together and kind of in one big laffy globby, which is a bad marketing name. Um, but then I also moved out the uh, the old TV that I had. I had a 55-inch uh, Sony TV, and I moved it out here. And I moved out the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 4. And so I kind of turned it into this little gaming nook. And I brought my other Raspberry Pi out here, and I put 
uh, uh, Picade on here, and so I can play emulated games. But there's, uh, you know, some Switch boxes. And so if I wanted to do that thing, like if I were going to play GameCube, this is where I would bring it, to the lobby. And I, I set up some shelves, and I put some old toys on and stuff. But it almost looks like a um, dorm room, you know, without the bed. And there's a – oh, I put a fridge out here. I put a uh, – I found these retro-themed – refrigerators and I put that out here so I have some other stuff I want to do I don't want to put so much stuff in here that it uh, looks junky you know but um, but now there's a reason for the room I mean you could come out here and you can uh, watch TV you could uh, and play video games you know make a snack before you go and I want to set up my popcorn maker and stuff out here so that that's kind of the uh, um, the point of the lobby and then the other plan for the lobby is to move those two arcade games out here. So it'll be, you know, a little bit like a uh, a theater lobby that has some arcade games to play. So uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, because I had so many arcade games in the past, you know, I had the arcade and, and I had 30 machines at home. Uh, do I want to put real dedicated machines out here? I don't know. Uh, I might put one. Like if I found something really special that didn't play well in MAME, if I found a good deal on a a Tron machine or a Star Wars machine, something like that, then maybe. But it's kind of unlikely right now. Like, if I put the 60 in one, you know, it has Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and, and all those types of games, and then MAME will have everything. So, uh, you know, it would have to be a pretty special machine uh, to put there. So, um, but anyway, going back to um, the Goldilocks analogy that I started, you know... Um, I started with that one room where I had all that stuff and it was like everything was hooked up and it was more like to impress people. Like when people would come over, like, uh, not, not gaming aficionados, like people would go, Oh, I bet you don't have this. Well, you're right. I don't have everything. But you know, the average person that was like, Oh man, I grew up playing Atari. You're like, well, it's your lucky day. <laughs> or I had an Intellivision or man, I love super Nintendo or whatever. I had all those things hooked up. But I didn't personally play them. I didn't go up there and spend any time. I spent so much time, like, hooking things up and running wires and doing that that it wasn't fun to play, you know. Um, and then again, I, I jumped to the the second house, you know, and it was more about, like, I just had this small area and I could emulate anything, but... It just wasn't that much fun, you know. So I, I'm hoping that with what I have now, I'm, I'm striking this balance, right? It's this, um, you know, it's a house and the workspace that I have out here and, and the gaming room and the flex room and all that. It's enough space where I can hook up the things that I love um, and there's enough room to work on projects and do the stuff that I want to do. Uh, it's not too much space where things will get out of control and I'll get overwhelmed and it's not too little space. So uh, I feel like uh, my wife calls this our forever home and maybe it will be. Uh, if it is, I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I really have everything here just to to um, keep me happy for the rest of my life. So I, I'm hoping that's for a really long time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's a good place to end things. So, uh, again, I want to thank everybody uh, who saved this feed, everybody who catches this new episode. I want to thank all you guys that sent me the PayPal donations. Man, every single one of them uh, means something to me. And it really it means even more than the, the money amount, uh, the, the fact that uh, 
that you guys care enough to keep the show going. Uh, <clears throat> you can hear my voice breaking up. One, because it's been a long time since I didn't podcast this long. Uh, and then number two, it's like 80 degrees in here, and I really need a drink of water. <sighs> Better. Um, again, uh, you know, I definitely wanted to thank on the Amigos for the plug. Um, I, uh, as I've said many times, they have the best podcast about the second best Commodore computer, <laughs> which is a funny joke that I made up and I enjoy very much. But uh, the Amigos are, are a great podcast. I listen to a lot of great podcasts, and uh, I feel bad just calling out one because I, I'm sitting here thinking in my head of all the different ones. But uh, um, definitely they have a great show. Um, thanks to everybody that sent in feedback and stuff. And like I said, without that, it's just me talking into this little microphone and and you guys connecting with me is what makes the the show real for me so thank you guys all for listening i will say again one last time uh if you want to email me you can find me at rob o'hare at rob o'hare.com on twitter i am at commodore on facebook all my shows are at uh facebook.com forward slash robcasts and uh you can always leave me a voicemail at 405-486-YDKF so thank you guys for listening thanks for uh being there for me and i hope that uh, in the future i will be there for you uh, stay safe and i will talk to you soon <laughs>